You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. We are looking into a good work that God wants to do in you. Not just you trying to make some changes in your own strength, make some changes in your own power, but God at work in you to transform you, to completely change you from the inside out. Let me start with this statement. It's not character that transforms character. It's the gospel that transforms character. Uh, We've been told in our culture, and we perhaps have fallen for this lie, that in order to have character, all you need to do is just try harder to have more character. Again, in your own strength, and your own power. Produce it on your own. But have you noticed that, that on our own, we keep failing at our man-made attempts? Uh, have you noticed that, that on our own, we like to fashion ourselves into our likeness? On our own, we continue just to lower the standards so that they might be attainable by our own power. Have you noticed that on our own, we are pretty shady characters? But if we knew and believed and lived and took in and and plumbed the depths of the gospel, what is the gospel that God loves you so much that he sent his son to rescue you, to save you through his cross, his death, his resurrection? If we knew and believed and lived in the gospel, we'd start seeing a transformation that happens not just because we want it to happen, but a true change that happens from the inside out. So two weeks ago, we looked at the good work of God's love. Last Sunday, we looked at the good work of God's grace. Let's find our third thing this morning. With your copy of God's word, let's go back to where we've been starting the last two weeks. The first Corinthians chapter 13, back to the love chapter. First Corinthians chapter 13, and we'll Look at verse 4 and verse 5 one more time. And we'll be in 1 Corinthians for the remainder of the morning. So I encourage you to have a copy of God's Word or go to your app on your smartphone. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 together, begin in verse 4. If you don't have a Bible, you don't have a smartphone, and there's no one nicer around you to share, then you can always look at the screen behind me. This is Paul writing to the church of Corinth just like God would be speaking to you here at Highland today. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. It is not arrogant. It's not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable. It's not resentful. There are three things in those two verses I want us to see together today. If you want to, you can underline them in your Bible. I'll underline them on the screen, this very next screen. And here it is. Here's what love does. It does not boast, number one. Number two, it is not arrogant. Number three, it does not insist on its own way. Now, some of you are going to wish you just stayed at home when you realize what the third word is. It's humility. A work of humility in your heart, not trying to be humble, but a work of humility in your heart that can transform you, fully change you from the inside out. Now you're in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Probably just go four pages over to the left. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 together and pick up at the very end of that chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We'll begin in verse 18 and finish out chapter 3. 
Again, Paul is writing to the church of, of Corinth, the same letter here, just a few verses, a few chapters before. And look at all of the statements in here of humility. All the statements in here that, that speak of this good work of humility in our hearts. Let's begin in verse 18. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. That's humbling. For the wisdom of this world is just folly with God. Humbling. For it is written now, Paul's going to go back and catch something or snag something from Job chapter 5. And he says, he catches, God catches the wise and their craftiness. That's humbling. And again, now Paul is going to go back and snatch something from Psalm 94. The Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. Humbling. So let no one boast in men. For all things are yours. That's humbling also, almost in a different light. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours. And you, and you are Christ's. I took my pen out this week and underlined those three words three times. You are Christ's. And Christ. He belongs to God. You belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to the Father. Let's get a little context of what's happening because why in the middle of this does Paul just throw out the names of Apollos and, and Cephas? Uh, Cephas is the same person as Peter in, in the Bible. Uh, why does he throw out his own name here in, in verse 22? Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life, why is he throwing out those names? Because the context is Christians in that day, they were aligning themselves with different leaders. I like Paul. Well, I, I like Apollos. Well, I like Cephas. And, and the church there at Corinth, they were pitting these leaders against one another. And in doing so, they're also pitting themselves against one another as, as believers. Well, I'm in Apollo's camp. Well, I'm in Paul's camp. Well, I'm in Cephas's camp. Now, if you want to, you can just flip back one more page if you want to, if your Bible is open to chapter 1, verse 12, and you begin to see that just a little bit. Paul is writing, what I mean is that each one of you says, well, I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas. I follow Christ. Uh, chapter 3 says the same thing in verse 4. If you just want your eyes to follow there, chapter 3, verse 4. For one says, I follow Paul. And another says, I follow Apollos. Are you not being merely human? He asks. You know what this is, Highland? It's tribalism. And it's ugly in the church. Well, I belong to this person. I belong to this person. I belong to that camp. I belong to this camp. It's tribalism. And it's a gross thing in the church. So Paul is saying here at the very end of chapter 3, what, what are you doing it is ridiculous that you are so overwhelmed and consumed with comparisons, taking pride in this leader, taking pride in that leader, taking pride in this camp, taking pride in that camp. That's what Paul says here in verse 21. No more boasting in men. Which is probably a pretty good word for us as we march toward November 3rd. No more boasting in men. Now when Paul is writing this, he didn't say stop. Chapter 4, verse 1, different thought. He did not do that. This is one long letter. Someone else came around hundreds of years later and organized it for us so we could get there quickly on a Sunday morning. So Paul just continues to write here. So we'll pick it up. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. This is how one should regard us. The servants of Christ. That's humbling. 
and stewards of the mysteries of God. That's humbling. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or judged by any human court. He's not speaking of the legal system. He is speaking of what you and I would say today, the court of human opinion. It's a small thing that someone should judge me. That should be judged by you or judged by anybody else's thoughts and opinions. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the, here's our key word for this entire series this fall, heart. Not the behaviors, not the actions, but the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be, keyword, puffed up in favor of one against the other. So chapter four, verse one begins with a great question, a great statement. Here it is. How should we be regarded? In other words, verse one of chapter four, how should we be considered? Then he ends it in verse six with that really good phrase there. We should not be puffed up. Your Bible translation might say we should not be prideful or your translation might say we should not be arrogant or your translation might say we should not be inflated. And inflated actually is probably the best term. Because that little phrase there, puffed up, or again, arrogant in your Bible, is a very interesting Greek word. It's fousiao. Fousiao. And it comes from the word fousa. And some of you are going to lose you on this because you've grown up only in gas fireplace time. Fousa is a billow. Those of you all my age and above, billows, right? The fire is going out. Should I get the billows and blow the fire that had the wood and put oxygen beneath the fire so it allowed there to be more energy within the fireplace and then the fire began to roar? Paul is using that word fusa, billows, to talk about someone's ego that's been overinflated. Like someone who is puffed up literally with, with pride, puffed up with ego, puffed up with themselves. And so you who are note takers might want to write this down. Spiritual pride is an inflated sense of one own, one's own worth. It's an inflated sense of one's own status and typically creates a sense of superiority over others. It's an inflated sense of your value, an inflated sense of your worth. And when you get inflated like this with ego, you're puffed up with yourself, you begin to see or feel a superiority over others. Spiritual pride is anything where we, or any time we try to build our identity on things outside of God. Here's how Soren Kierkegaard defines spiritual pride it's the illusion that you can find meaning in life outside of God. You just feel like it's about you, an overestimated sense of self, an inflated sense of your own worth. Now, let's give just the opposite. Spiritual humility is an accurate sense, then, 
an accurate sense of one's own worth, of one's own status. And typically, what does that create? Not a sense of equality, like, hey, we're just all the same, but just the opposite almost, but others better than self. As Paul would write in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Spiritual humility is an accurate sense of one's own worth, an accurate sense of one's own status. And it creates this sense not of equality, but that you are better than I am. If you want to see the church eradicate racism and disunity and hatred and poverty, it starts with spiritual humility. It starts with the sense that you are more important than I am. And look at this, spiritual humility is more potent, more powerful than just the opposite of spiritual pride because it actually places others above ourselves. So Paul asked that question in chapter 4, verse 1. This is how we should regard ourselves. Or your Bible might say, how should we regard ourselves? So that's the question I have for you today. How should we regard ourselves? We're talking about a work, a good work of humility in our lives that changes us, that transforms us from the inside out. Let's, be, let's ask this question this morning. How should we regard ourselves? Here's the first thing. First thing, not by what others think of me. That's not how I regard myself. That's not how I define myself. This is not what I think of myself by what others think of me. This is what it says here in chapter 4, verse 3. Look what it says. But, but with me, Paul says, it's a very small thing. It's a very small thing that I should be judged by you. It's a very small thing that I should care what you think about me. It's a very small thing that I should be judged by even a, the court of human opinion. Oh, it's a very small thing. And all of us in this house and all of us in the chapel and all of us at home today watching online, we all deal many times a day of what we think others think of us. Often we're even consumed by it. I wonder what she thinks of me. I wonder what he thinks of me. I wonder what they think of me. I wonder what my boss thinks of me. Of me. I wonder what my, my girlfriend, my boyfriend, my spouse, my kids, my parents. I wonder what they think of me. All of us deal with what we think others think of us and then how we compare to others. Kind of like where we fit into our circle. Where we fit into our conditions. You see, pride and comparison always go together. Pride and, and comparison always go together. If you have an overinflated sense of, of who you are, then you're always going to be comparing yourself with others. Here's what C.S. Lewis says in the incredible book, Mere Christianity, that I would challenge you to read if you have not read it already. Here's what he says about pride. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. We say that people are proud because... Proud of being rich or proud of being wise or proud of being good looking, but they are not. They are proud of being richer or wiser or better looking than others. It is the comparison that makes you proud, the pleasure of being above the rest. That's so true. Have you noticed there's always someone wiser? Have you noticed there's always someone richer? Have you noticed there's always someone better looking? And if you are the richest, you're probably not the best looking. See Bill Gates, right? You don't, just because you have all kinds of money doesn't mean you're like on the top of the, of, of the beauty chart. See, if you jump on this comparison train, 
there's no end to it. There's no end game if all you do the rest of your life, and I want to speak so clearly to everyone, but specifically to college students. There's no end to that ride. If all you do the rest of your life is compare yourself to others, you'll just go round and round and round. It's kind of like that train. You haven't seen this train yet, college freshmen, but there's a little train at Kittyland. And it's been there since I was a kid myself. And that train is so, so fascinating to me because it's a small train, it's a small track. It gets old very quickly. In fact, you're on it for about 10 seconds and you're thinking, I paid $15 to go around 10 times on this thing? It's the same ride as comparison. You pay a lot. It's a small track. And it gets old very quickly. But I know 50, 60, and 70-year-olds that are still riding it. Always looking to other people in their comparison. There's no end to it because there will always be people who have more and there will always be people who do better. Uh, You can write this down if you want to. If you consider yourself by what others think, you'll end every day either in their disappointment or your own. Oh, what, What a terrible way to live life every night putting your head on the pillow and realizing you didn't measure up to what other people thought of you. You didn't measure up to what you thought other people thought of you. And therefore, you just kind of live in their disappointment or you live in your own disappointment. That's what Paul says. Let me say it one more time in verse 3. It's a very small thing to be judged by you. I'm not looking at anyone else to determine my worth. I'm not looking at anyone else to determine my identity. So don't look to others to determine what you think of yourself. It's futile. It's empty. Why is it so futile? Why is it so empty? Well, really, two reasons. One, people don't really know who you are. And secondly, we learned this very quickly. People change their opinions of you all the time anyway. Paul says, this is a small thing to be judged by you. Now, there's some in here right now. There's some in the chapel watching. There's some at home watching right now. And your heart is soaring because you're thinking right about now. That's right. No one tells me who I am. I say who I am. No one gets to tell me how I can regard myself. I tell me how to regard myself. <laughs> we'll prepare to land. Number two. How should you regard ourselves? Number two, not by what I think of myself. Look at verse three. I'll read it one more time. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or anybody else. In fact, I do not even judge myself. I don't care what you think of me, but I also don't care what I think of me. This is a very counter-cultural message because what God is saying here is that Looking inward to ourselves is just as much a trap as looking outward to other people. What you think of yourself, what other people think of yourself, those are both traps. And neither of those create a true good work of humility. Most counselors today, most self-help books that you can find today or download today, here's what they say in essence. Don't worry about what other people say of you. You just need to be concerned with what you think about yourself. It's all about what you think of yourself. So our culture's recipe to get past low self-esteem, here's the remedy, just get some high self-esteem. Oh, look at you. Look at all that you have. Look at all that you are. Look at all that you have achieved. 
Don't compare yourself to others. Stop trying to live up to other people's standards. You set your own standards and then you evaluate yourself according to them. You see, there's no humility in that at all. And honestly, who among us here ever meets our high standards we place on ourselves? So the only way to avoid that despair is to set really low expectations of ourselves. But then we feel bad that we have such low standards. It really is a dizzying cycle of despair and almost depression. So where do we look if not outward to ask what other people think of us and not inward to see how we consider ourselves? How do we push back pride? How do we find that good, true work of humility in our lives? I'm, I'm glad you're, you asked because it's not by what others think of me. It's not by what I think of myself, but really here it is, but by how God judges me, how God sees me, how God sees, as we saw earlier, the purposes of my heart. Look at verse four, look at verse five again. I love verse four. Let me just pick up the very end of verse three. I don't even judge myself. And Paul says, in great transparency, and it sounds a little prideful, but maybe I assume he was being truthful. I'm not aware of anything against myself. But he says, but that doesn't equip me just because I can't think of anything right now against myself. I'm not acquitted by that. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time. Don't look at other people to judge you. Don't look at yourself to judge you. Because the Lord is going to come and he will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose, and here's our inward word again, the purposes of the heart. Then, then each one will receive his commendation from God. Here's what Paul is saying. Stay with me here. Look to God. See how he sees you. You see, you don't have to achieve certain things before he loves you. You don't have to measure up. In fact, here's the point. You won't measure up. But he loves you anyway. The God of the universe has spoken to those who are in Christ. And they look at you, ladies, and say, you're my daughter. They look at you, brothers, and say, you are my son. And in Christ, I am pleased with you. And listen. Then that produces the good work of humility in us. And the God of the universe speaks to you and says, you're my daughter, you're my son, and I love you not by what you have achieved in Christ. I'm just pleased with you. That produces the good work of humility. That even in our brokenness, God in Christ Jesus has made us whole. Even when we are difficult to love, and I would imagine this room is filled with people who at times are difficult to love. You're listening to one speaking right now. But he still loves us in Christ. You see, you're free, Christian. You're free from having to look outward of what other people think of you. But you're also free, Christian, from having to look inward to see what you think of yourself. You live every moment instead of your life with your heart looking upward. Looking to, again, the God of the universe who says to you in every moment, you are mine. You are my beloved. You're my treasure. You belong, chapter 3, verse 23, 
you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to me. You see what a good work of humility that produces in us that God who is the rightful judge who don't miss this he is definitely the judge here in chapter 4 has pronounced you Christian his and that produces humility that God would love us to this extent even when he sees all that we have messed up in Christ he says oh you're mine and you are my beloved and then begins a true humility in the heart that begins to transform the way we live our lives Would you stand with me, please, and let's pray together. God, that's what we want, like a true work of God in us. God, this is what we desire, not just one more attempt to try to change ourselves. We've, we've been on that train. The train of trying to compare ourselves to others, the train of trying to change ourselves in our own strength, and we are not strong people, not apart from Christ. It sure seems in a very puffed up culture that God, you're looking for and longing for your daughters and your sons to live in humility, to have an accurate sense of who we are, which is loved by God belonging to Christ how upside down would it look in Waco this week for your people to consider others as better than ourselves that is a counter cultural thought but God we want that good work in us that good work of your love, that good work of your grace, now that good work of humility. We want to see ourselves as you see us. You love us without us achieving anything. You love us at our most unlovable moments. And God, we know that this love is most perfectly demonstrated, most beautifully illustrated at the cross of your son. If there's anyone in this house that deals with pride, all we need to do is look to the cross and see so rich love, the depth of love, the vastness of your mercy. God, it makes our knees shake. And it starts a true work, a good, true work of humility in us. Oh God, would you work in us? Would you work in our heart? In Christ we pray. And now in Christ we sing.